0: With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. The new helicopters bringing New York City's super rich to the Hamptons and beyond are almost completely silent, all electric, and look straight out of a sci-fi blockbuster. Ben Kesslin reports in the New York Post that Blade Air Mobility, known for transporting elite New Yorkers via helicopter, tested its new ev T-O-L, Electric Vertical Takeoff and Landing Aircraft at the Westchester County Airport Tuesday. As part of the company's pledge to go green quietly, the futuristic new aircraft, commonly referred to as an EVA or electric vertical aircraft, look like a hybrid of a small plane and helicopter with rotator blades on the aircraft's wings. Manufactured by Vermont-based electric aerospace company Beta Technologies, the choppers will be welcomed by Big Apple residents who have repeatedly complained about helicopter noise disrupting their daily life and even Shakespeare in the park. The noise was such a problem that Representative Gerald Nadler even begged the FAA to divert helicopter traffic from Central Park. And as we know, helicopter noise generated by flights to and from Wainscot are a constant complaint. Governor Kathy Hochul vetoed a bipartisan bill that passed by a wide margin to ban tourist helicopters from Hudson River Park, saying it was a federal responsibility to regulate airspace. On the roads, uh, results from a traffic study conducted late, uh, uh, late last month, that focused on commuter cut-through traffic on several residential streets in Southampton Village led to new recommendations for addressing what has been an animating issue for the residents who live here. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that after considering a few other options, engineers from the consulting firm Nelson Pope Voorhees recommended restricting right-hand turns on Somerset Avenue, Bishop's Lane, and Corrigan Street on weekdays between the hours of 3 and 7 p.m. So that vehicles do not have the opportunity to use those roads as a shortcut back up to County Road 39. According to Deputy Mayor Gina Aresta, motorists heading east to west are cutting south off County Road 39A, often initially by way of David White's lane, and then proceeding in various ways west through the village, eventually to Hill Street, and then they look to cut through those residential streets north back to County Road 39. Although many westbound afternoon trade parade motorists use back roads north and south of 27A Hill Street, creating a slow traffic crawl between the heart of Southampton Village to as far west as Tuckahoe Road and Montauk Highway in Shinnecock, the evening commute has been the prime time problem, according to Southampton Village officials. The best way to alleviate traffic congestion through those neighborhoods has been a hot topic of debate among residents and has at times put the residents that live on those roads at odds with each other. The village decided to temporarily install a police barricade at the north end of Somerset Avenue at the end of last year. The barricade was removed on January 20th, so NPV could conduct its traffic study, which took over two weeks Many of the residents on Bishop's Lane and Corrigan Street, as well as others who use the road, were frustrated to discover that the barricade had returned on February 3rd. uh, And they expressed those frustrations at the most recent village board meeting on February 9th. I'm trying to think of what NPV stands for. I wonder if they meant like the village police, but no, they weren't conducting the study. I'm not sure. All right. Speaking of Southampton, we're going to go to the actual town. The town of Southampton's Housing Authority has partnered with Long Island Habitat for Humanity to build multiple single family homes in Riverside. Two houses have already been built and allocated to two hardworking families. An additional four more parcels are available. Habitat Long Island has two houses on Vail Avenue under construction, while two additional parcels are in development. Waiting building permits. Lisa Finn reporting on patch.com that the new homes will be occupied by a family chosen among those completing Habitat Long Island's Home Ownership Program application, which is available for download in English and Spanish on Habitat Long Island's website. Applications are being accepted through uh, February 28th. Through Habitat for Humanity's Home Ownership Program, their future homeowners will fulfill. 300 hours of sweat equity, helping to build their future homes and houses for others in the program. In addition, they'll go through financial preparation classes and volunteer for community service. Each homeowner will sign a 30 year mortgage with 2% interest with Habitat uh, covering a second mortgage. According to officials, Habitat and Southampton town are working together, actively building to make positive impact on the riverhead Uh, on the Riverside community, excuse me, the representatives stated at Monday's wall-raising ceremony. And finally, I believe the vote to preserve the Steinbeck property went through last night, as I saw on Catherine Soka's Facebook page last night, uh, which is a beautiful piece of news to read as a writer. And speaking of writers, reading the weather in Selden in honor of our next guest, Walter E. Harris III, or Monk, Uh, Of all books joining us at the bottom of the hour, Uh, that would be the Wednesday Wisdom segment underwritten by LTV Studios to talk about book three of his Musings series called Moving Through the Empty Gate Forest, Inside Looking Out, looking like a cloudy Wednesday that's going to gradually become mostly sunny. As I can see, it's starting to happen now. High near 55 degrees because... Man, what a lovely April we've been having this February. Breezy with a south wind, 13 to 20 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 46 degrees. Southwest wind, 10 to 16 miles per hour. Right now, it's 49 degrees. We plan the playlist around um, Monk's uh, book titles, so we're keeping our Forest Edition rocking with The Cure. If there's a forest track you love, let us know. Leave us a message, 631-591-7006, as we plan for an all-music forest edition of The Heart, here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned. Ah, NPV is Nelson Pope Voorhees. The traffic consultants. Thank you, Michael Mackey. The one and only of Long Island Morning Edition, right here on WLIWFM. Upping up and back to 1980 for that one. A. forest from The Cure's 17 Seconds record. And I'm feeling real good because I just had a successful parenting moment. I have uh, made it such a habit to, let's say, I'm at, like, a store that has, like, music on overhead and I have the baby in the uh, shopping cart. I always stop and dance to the music <laughs> for a while and probably many times through the, the shopping trip. And uh, it worked because I just FaceTimed her during that track and we had a dance party. Her and me and daddy. And then at the end of the call, I said, okay, mommy has to go. Bye bye. And she blew me a kiss. Ah, oh, I love it. All right. So, James Spiteri, this is the forest, moving from a forest to the forest. This is from a new beginning of 2016. Uh, Let me actually look here. Yeah, that's fine. This should lead us right into the Wednesday Wisdom segment at uh, the bottom of the hour. Monk, he said, it's Monk like Ron Konkama. He also taught me this morning, or uh, his native friend from Hawaii taught me that it's ukulele because he said it's uh, what what I used to call ukulele you pronounce it like clue so ukulele I learned a new thing I'm Gianna Volpe this is James Spiteri stay tuned for Monk also known as Walter E. Harris III um, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI-WFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart, featuring music from all decades and genres and folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI-WFM. How pretty was that? That was James Spiteri's The Forest from A New Beginning, uh, record from 2016. Checking to see if I have Monk on the line with us.
1: Yes, I'm here, Gianna. Oh, hello. How are you? If if your volume could go up a little, I can barely hear you.
0: Oh, uh, this is as high as I can go. Um, Oh, okay. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, I'll just listen carefully.
0: Okay, listen carefully. All right, so it's the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV Studios, and we have uh, Monk on the line with us. We're talking about the third book in his Musings series, um, Looking—wait, hold on, hold on. I'm going to pull it up just so I don't get this wrong. Uh, Moving Through the Empty Gate Forest, Inside, Looking Out— it's a work of art, a, a manifesto, an artistic one that is self-described as being poetic nonfiction, Zen history etymology workbook, spirituality nonconformist self-help slash help others. I I loved your tendency for explication, even down to the artwork in the book. I have. Very rarely interviewed someone who will, in detail, explain what things mean in a work of art uh, or otherwise, and you certainly do so with the Chinese pictographs, as well as everything else. Um, toward the end, toward that end, you put a colon before the end of a parenthesis in the sentence. Um, some of uh, of this book is not meant to be understood on first reading or any reading. However, if you stand up and hold the book above your head, then it will be stood under. Is that because the colon makes the ending parentheses look like a smiley face?
1: Oh, that was, I mean, I put that in kind of a little, just a little joke, a kind of quip, you know, that that uh, standing on, literally standing to understand is to stand under something. I love that. Sort of like the way that, you know, we all stand, the earth is below us, so Mother Earth understands everything that we do. So it was kind of a little joke of stand under, understand, and the smiley face was just the jokey part. I
0: loved that. All right, so you began publishing (laughs) as as All Book in 2003, but you wanted to be All Book initially, I believe, for your uncle I was fascinated by the conversation with the person from the county who told you that you can't name a business uh, something with someone else's name, uh, that Lou can't uh, start Joe's Pizza or vice versa, and that the name of something must have actual words. I didn't know any of that.
1: Yeah, neither did I. I don't know. I remember the day I was in there and I was all excited to get my business certificate kind of thing. And, um, you know, I just... They said, "Oh, you can't name it, blah blah." blah, And I just sort of stood there, speechless. <laughs> and then the woman said, "Oh, what about all book, all book, books?" So I thought, "Okay, that's that's fine." So that's, and strangely enough, it's um, I think it's something to do with the maybe it's poetic or the repetitiveness of the word. I would say ninety percent of people mispronounce it or uh, misspell it just because it's a repeated all book books. Two two different words.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess you could probably. Were you able to just be like All Books, Inc., or is there also another uh, publishing company by that name?
1: Oh, I don't know. There may be something online out there. I don't know. I, that, you know, I just – at the time, I wanted to go Al's book, Books, because my uncle, who was very much into books and part of the lineage, one aspect of the family lineage, which relates to um, trees, family trees, um, he was very much into books. And so – after he had passed away, I wanted to. I started the business and named it, you know, wanted to name it after him. So, ironically, it, it's sort of named after it, him.
0: It's a perfect, it's a really a perfect name for your publishing company and especially your musing series because this book is really in everything all in one. And I, I loved that about it. I was going to ask how you square your love of trees with your love of books, but you do go into it quite a bit. And I loved the quote we have forgotten and can't see the forest for the books. And, and I, I spoke a little bit earlier about uh, the belief that a tree's spirit lives on within newer forms or, or subsequent forms and uses of uh, its parts, for, for lack of better words, wood and, and branches and whatnot. Um, some would rather be a sparrow than a snail, but I've always been partial to snails. What do they mean to you?
1: Well, the snail is its on the book cover, the snail along with the the spiral shape uh, on the shell, um, which is kind of like, you know, we live in a very linear culture, and it's always progress and going forward and, and as fast as we can. So the snail reminds me that things are kind of evolving in a spiral. And that we we kind of get to the same place, see it from a different perspective as we go along the spiral. And, of course, obviously it means slow down.
2: Yes. Um,
1: I think that's, like, you know, much of the book, as you're hinting at, I I wanted to explore kind of the broad sense of how humanity's consciousness got um, separated from the natural world. Right. Right. Of, you know all the all the too much cutting down of trees. I mean, in in the backyard where I'm at, there's a sassafras tree, which I learned from a book. Uh, their species is like 100 million, maybe 100 million years old on on Long Island. So that's, I mean, that's intelligence that is able to do that. And so why are we, uh, you know, people uh, cutting down so many trees? Even you know, even nowadays with putting up warehouses and housing and units and stuff, uh, it's like that, that troubled me. So I started looking into it and then it sort of fast forward to some of the research when um, cuneiform started like 3000 BC and then uh, the alphabet, the Western alphabet in like ninth century. And then fast forward to Gutenberg's press in the 1450s and books started going all over the world. And so I think things got faster and more mass produced So that's one of the messages of the book that, you know, things have gotten faster and more mass produced. And now with the technology as well, it's sort of out of control. So the the trees, uh, you know, I think obviously need to preserve and they're they're a refuge and their consciousness, too. I mean, in suburbia, there's more there's less trees and the more trees there are, you have a different feeling when you go for a walk in the woods. Right. Uh, The trees aren't just the background.
0: Learning learning Uh, more about like mycelial networks. networks. Like, learning, having learned, like, this past year a little bit more about mycelial networks and, and how uh, mm-hmm. trees and, and other plants talk to each other through their roots really, yeah. really blew my mind. And actually, you're, you're talking a bit about uh, the snail and uh, the spiral and the way that things come full circle, uh, but you're, uh, you know, at a different place every time they do, and you're kind of looking through Space, time, at, at what once was, totally, brings me back to the eulogy that I at my grandfather's wake, uh, uh-huh. when I asked him the meaning of life, and he drew a spiral, and that um oh,
1: wow that's amazing, Gianna. <laughs> uh,
0: he he ended up getting it tattooed on his chest, after my near death car wreck, uh, he got two Jeez. tattoos. He got the spiral on one side, and the other side. It was, uh, I don't know if it's in Aramaic or what language it was, but it was a word for God that if you knew how to speak it correctly, uh, it meant eternal life, something like that. Mm. Um, incredibly uh, cool person and, and uh, like yourself. And, and what interested me is that, you know, you showed up uh, requesting an interview around the time that he was leaving, and I remember he used to communicate with them, what do you call those, uh, where you hold like a pendulum? And he would tell me he was speaking to someone named Manu, and it was cool because oh, Monk is not that far off from it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I saw a lot of Buddhism in in your book. Please tell me about your relationship with, with Buddhism and um, other uh philosophies that are like
1: yeah uh, well first i just want to add because you you said about the meanings and the word and the trees and the mycelium and and the word roots like when i looked up the word roots the etymology of trees they uh, the roots say steadfast faithful trustworthy solid honest so you know we have a lot to learn from the trees amen and then uh, a Lakota friend has has told that it says that their word because a lot of indigenous have very different languages Mm -hmm. And their word for tree has a heart in it. Oh. And that goes back, you know, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. And then, but then science is recently discovering that the sort of tree pumps the sap, you know, like a heart. So that that just kind of blew my mind right there. There's this indigenous knowledge that goes way, way back. That's, you know, like pre-science. Same. So that's, um, you know, talking about the words and the meanings and, and those kind of things. Uh, the Buddhist, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say Buddhism. It's, for me, uh, that was started to be part of my path many um, years ago, just that sense of, um, gosh, um, just the Buddha, you know, that the Buddha nature, it's, I guess it was kind of like that the Buddha nature is, is within us all, and it's not really a person. It's kind of like a state of being. Right. Um, and, I mean, so many people have, uh, it's obviously had a big influence, so many people you see Buddhist statues all over the place. Right. Um, so it's it just it reminds me to be centered and um, calm in certain times when I need to be calm and and um, just to see see things different. You know, see through the ups and the downs of life.
0: You know, I used to be partial. And speaking of uh, getting back to your connection between trees and hearts, I used to be partial to uh, seeing folks carving hearts into trees with their names. I no longer mm. do, after reading your book, uh, talking about uh, that as sort of an attack and, uh, like, something harmful for the tree. So I think I'll begin to uh, – that's definitely shifted my paradigm. And, you know, I did want to say – and let's see if I can find, um, find the note that I had in here. And it was something that changed your paradigm. Ah, I said I appreciated your inclusion of uh, some works by, let's see if I can say this, Punkwitzani, and uh, talking about your paradigm shift following learning more about the womb. And one thing that I learned when pregnant myself is that the uterus and even uh, the baby's eggs develop while still in utero. So thinking about the fact that I I've technically carried. My own grandchildren, when carrying Harmony, was something that just, it, it, it really does make you feel so connected to everyone in, in your family tree. Can you talk a little bit about what, what learning these things uh, were like for you and how they changed your perspective?
1: Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that quote there, um, she's a woman that, an indigenous woman that does a lot of work with women and that whole thing. I mean, I had learned a, a native friend of mine who used to live out in the woods in, um, you know, Manorville area. And he, like on my birthday, he would call it the gateway day. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And it was like, yeah, well, we come through the mother's gateway. And I was like, wow, this is like a whole different way to see things that were, it's like the connection to the spirit world. And, you know, the women have that. That amazing ability and power, or whatever you call it, to uh, to bring life into this world. So it's a very, you know, just a very sacred thing. And so that that was that was one. That's one aspect of the whole theme of the gates and the gateway. And and um, you know, nowadays I guess they call it you know that's a little cliche, but it's true. The sacred feminine energies that we need to connect with the power that women have with that. Amen. And, you know, not just that they can give birth, but that whole connection with the different worlds.
0: You know, I, I did. You, you've mentioned Native peoples a number of times, and I really appreciated uh, that. And I, I, I did want to put in there the, a quote or, or a, a passage from your book saying that an estimated 98.5% of Native peoples of what is now called the United States have been uh, uh, k- killed, ex- exterminated. I, I don't even want to use that word, but, but, Mm -hmm. but killed. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, sourcing that, that fact? And, and, um, it, it really is, you you know, you say afterward, pause to think and feel about that. And I think that's kind of what's happening with me right now.
1: Yeah, I don't have the exact, uh, footnote quote, you know, right handy, but that's, you know, in doing... And commonly I was reading, you know, that the numbers were down like 90, 95 percent, 98 percent. And so that it's just part of the tragic, um, the sad genocidal history of this land, which natives call Turtle Island. So that um, that enhanced my interest in, in, in what's going on. And Fortunately, numbers started to rebound, I think, in the early 1900s. Right. Uh, The numbers were down maybe 200,000. I'm not sure I'm remembering that exactly. But but numbers have started to rebound, and there's more of that consciousness. But I do see that parallel with, um, you know, the cutting down trees. I mean, this this sense of, you know, what's going on, that people have gone kind of berserk to be, not only cutting down human beings, but, you know, cutting down trees and whatever other species we're dealing with at this time that everybody knows how severe things are. Right. So that, and I think that, you know, the native indigenous people, they have a direct, very much direct connection with the land from living with the land for so many thousands of years. So I look, you know, as well, as much as I look also to the the trees that have that ancient wisdom, um, you know, a, a lot of native people have that. They carry that. From having, you know, lived, but before before all the books, there was you know clean water and, and lots more trees. So what's happened?
0: An indigenous language. That's, that's part
1: of what I, that's part of the question I'm putting forth in the book to get yeah. people to you know think about what they can do or how they can change their awareness.
0: I really I really appreciated uh, you're talking about the power of indigenous languages as well. And I'll read a quote that you have uh, in in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving through the Empty Gate Forest, inside looking out from Teocas and Ghost Horse, uh, from the Climate Summit in December 2018. These indigenous languages that are more at risk than ever, that will be almost extinct at the end of the century, are the most powerful languages. They speak of quantum physics and how to communicate with Mother Earth, and you can't find them in libraries we're on your computers, you have to live them. And if we don't know how to do that, the best way you can do that is not ask, "How do I do this?" because we're used to the privilege of getting the answer answer when we have a how to do something, and that manual is not in my back pocket, nor yours. Something that you really got across to me is is the uh, intense value and necessity of living learning if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah it's it's living that's a great quote by the way he's he um he's a, a I refer to my Lakota friend he actually has a radio show for 31 years and still still cranking it's called First Voices Radio oh so that show's big influence on my book just learning about that you know different perspective i think what the living learning is it's like um it's tricky to explain but it's it's like the way you just sometimes i just go outside and i stand you know in the yard and just stand there with a cup of coffee and just stop and listen for a few minutes and it at first it seems like i'm not doing anything but then you know a woodpecker hops up on the tree or i see a bug and it's it's like um it's it's sort of like part of the point of the book is it's beyond words yes it's like part of the learning to just be out there and see what happens
0: that's that's moving through it. the gate. That's exactly you know you talk about moving through the gate and how the gate is sort of uh, a place between heaven and earth. And I remember uh, there was a moment. I think it was shortly after I took this job, where I wrote something and it was a distinct feeling. And I I'll have to find it someday and share it with you. But the feeling was that I felt like uh, a gate that I or a door that I had. I had long been trying to open and it was locked and that suddenly this gate or door had just swung open and uh, there was there was some um way about about how to to move through this this gate this door that was suddenly just open for me to explore. So it was, for, uh, for me, that's like a, per, a personal connection that I had to this idea. But there's so much great advice in your book, like make time to smell and talk with the flowers.
1: <laughs>
0: because, you know, they always say, yeah, think, take you know, time to smell the roses. Down,
1: that we're looking for answers. I mean, I put it in the book too, the, um, in Ecuador, there's, the uh, I think it's this, called the Sarayaku, I had learned about the shaman. They their form of quote government is to listen to the forest and the forest the forest instructs them what to do i'm just i'm just giving like a brief synopsis of a little bit i know but that's that's like very much the opposite of writing a letter to your congressman or going into a town office and spending you know trying to get something to point across that's i think that's part of that flipping that perspective of uh, slowing down and listening yeah. And like the quote you read said, it's, it's, not, it's not a, oh, here's the answer in, a, in the back pocket. You, ha, you have to kind of spend some time, uh, make, make time to just be with, with that energy and see what happens.
0: And, and not only to be, to yeah, I, I, I think it's like, because, you know, they say, like, take time to smell the roses, but you say smell yeah. and talk with the flowers, it, you know, this, this way of giving back. To this place that gives so much to us, you know, they, they talk a lot about those science experiments where, when you say saying nice things to a plant will will affect it positively. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that has to do with like uh, carbon dioxide or, or what. I don't. I'd have to look look up the the science experiment and read read more about it uh, to see if I'm even speaking intelligently. But I I love that idea of of talking to the flowers. There is so much wisdom in the world in which we live uh, outside of, or uh, the earth outside of the world in or on which we've built on, on the earth. Um, I loved your book and I I'm looking forward to, I hope you'll be back to talk about the other three in the musing series.
1: Oh, that'd be awesome! Thanks so much, Gianna. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's nice to share. It's nice, you know. It's nice when anybody picks up on the uh, the gist, the gists, and, and various specific uh, aspects of it. So I appreciate that a lot, and and the interview as well. And I, and I, I like the theme. Uh, make my day to hear you doing the tree theme song.
0: Yes, we're gonna we'll we'll play Bruce Cockburn's uh, "If a Tree Falls," uh, your request from his 1988 record, uh, "Anything, Anytime, Anywhere." I know I've I've downloaded a number of his albums after you suggested mm-hmm. him to me. Uh, if folks want to pick up a copy of *Moving Through the Empty Gate Forest*, *Inside Looking Out*, um, or or digitally, so that you know you don't have to cut any trees down, uh, where would yes, they? Yes, that is
1: part of the dilemma of being a right publisher. <laughs> it's yes, challenging, believe me.
0: Right. Where can where can people go to read your work?
1: Um well my website it's all book-books.com a l l b as in boy o o k hyphen b o o k s as in sam.com um and then actually I'm 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 going to the Blue Bean Cafe in Smithtown tomorrow uh from 12 to 2 to do a book signing which is very informal I'm just going to sit there with some coffee and whoever comes up to me and talks and is interested in the book that'd be nice.
0: I love that. Okay and I'm Gianna Volpe, that was Monk, this is Bruce Cockburn, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you just heard the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV Studios, right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, W L I W F M.
3: Arawak to Amazonas, Costa Rica to mangy BC hills, the cortege rhythm of falling timber. What kind of currency grows in these new deserts, these brand new floodplains? Gravity, light, ancient refuse of stars, speak of a drowning, but this, this is something other, busy monster eats dark holes in the spirit world where wild things have to go to disappear forever.
0: From Bruce Cockburn to Danny Elfman, you get a little bit of it all right here on The Heart, the weekday morning and midnight show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Mm -hmm. Die Hard Nightmare Before Christmas fans. No, that's the moment that Jack enters Christmas land. That's Dr. Finkelstein in the forest uh, from the Nightmare Before Christmas, leading you into the NPR News Break with Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass Walk in the Black Forest. Probably one of the shortest playlists I've played, but also one of my favorites. Very excited for the All Music Forest edition of The Heart coming to you on a future. Date here on WLIWFM. Deep out to our guests this morning, Jen DeVaglio and Monk, as well as our underwriter, LTV Studios, and all of you listener supporters of WLIWFM.